Amen. <clears throat> All right, Saul Company, you guys can sit down. Uh, my name is, is Colin. I'm on, I'm on staff here. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Um, and it's just such a privilege to, to be able to open the Bible, to teach out of the Bible with you guys, with you guys tonight. So, so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to be in Philippians 2. So if you guys grab a Bible in front of you, have a Bible on your phone, um, that's where we're going to be. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible. Um, and I'm just going to continue teaching on what Jordan taught last week. And so if, you, if you're new to your Bible, which we, which we all once were, um, Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Okay, so, so as you turn in your Bible, you're going to see you're gonna see these numbers that are chapters, these smaller numbers that are verses, these headings that are super helpful, but Paul didn't write those. And so why am I, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because we're just going to continue to work through the, this letter that Paul writes, and he's actually going to build on top of ideas that he's already established. So, so Jordan taught last week on to live as Christ and to die as gain, and we're just going to continue to build off that idea off that idea tonight, and we're just going to keep bringing the hype. Like, I feel like the last few weeks, there's just been a lot of energy, spring conference, we're talking about it a lot. If you didn't go, you should have. Put it in your calendar, 350 days from now, be there, it'll be amazing. Um, but, but there, Mark and Jake talked about having a holy ambition for God, right? right? Pursuing a call to holiness. And then, and then last week, Jordan preached on to live is Christ and, and to die is gain. It's these big ideas, these big calls to live holy lives. And now Paul's, Paul's going to get super practical. He's, he's going to talk about, okay, what does it actually look like to live the great life? What does the great life look like? So some of you are thinking, hey, he's going to talk about how to be successful, how, how to make a lot of money, how to, how to gain the approval of everyone that I interact with. Others of you are probably like, he's talking about how to be a hero of the faith, how to live a great life for God, right? Like you're thinking Moses, you're thinking David, I want to, I want to go somewhere and I want to do something great. He's going to talk about the great life. This is what Paul says. Here's how to be great. This is what Paul says. Have humility. Instead of elevating yourself above others, humble yourself. That's what the great life is. And so that's the big idea for tonight. That's, that's the idea that we're, we're going to come back to again and again tonight is that the humble life is worth living. The humble life is the, is the life worth living. So here's how I thought about this. Um, I did a little research. Over the last 10 years, the stock that has done the best is Netflix. Okay, so if you, if you were to buy a piece of Netflix stock in 2010, around this time, it would be $9.66. Okay, $9.66, 10 bucks. That same stock today is worth $373. So here's what I'm saying. Imagine you're back in 2010, and you know for a fact Netflix is going to grow 3,800%. Here's what I'm going to do. I don't know about you, but if, but if I'm in your chairs, I'm a college student, I'm dropping out of school, I'm not putting another dollar towards school, putting all that in Netflix stock, okay? I'm maybe, I'm maybe moving to Iowa. I'm decreasing my cost of living. I'm, no, I'm decreasing my cost of living, and I'm putting all my money all my money in Netflix stock. Why? Because I know it's going to pay off. Because I know it's going to grow 3,800%. My life is going to look so incredibly humble. I might sell my car and only bike. Right? Like, my life is going to look so humble 
because I know it's going to pay off. Because I know in 10 years it's going to grow 3,800% and I'm going to cash out on that investment. Right? That is what a life of following Jesus is like. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying that if you humble yourself, it's going to pay off infinitely and eternally. Way more than 3,800%. It's going to pay off infinitely and eternally. If we live a humble life, it's going to pay off. Guys, when we humble ourselves, we can see that we have the mind of Christ in our lives. And we, it actually gets a lot better. Our lives get better, not worse. Our humility would give us the purpose that we're all searching for. Our humility would give us the purpose that we're all searching for, and it would be worth it. That's, how, that's what we're going to see tonight. And so here's the first point. Is we're going we're gonna to look at the humility of Christ. First thing we're going to do. So, so if you're in Philippians 2, we're going to be in verse 5. That's where we're going to start. Here's what Paul says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, so a few just observations. What we see Paul is saying. One, Jesus was in fact God. And being God means he has always existed, right? God was not created. God the Father didn't one day say like, hey, I want a son. I'm going to name him Jesus, right? Like Jesus, the son, has always existed in eternity past with God. And, and they have existed together with the Spirit in, in this perfect unity, in, in glory, in holiness, right? They've had perfect relationship with each other. It's, it's like this awesome, just amazingness going on in heaven, right? Like that has been Jesus's reality for all of eternity past. That's the only thing he's known. So to help you guys understand this a little more in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in your Bible, don't turn there, but Moses, this, this character, in the Bible, real person, um, but he's talking with God, and he's really bold, and he says, God, I want to see your face, okay? So pretty bold if you're, if you're Moses, but whatever. So God is, is actually like, okay, but when God walks by Moses, he has to cover the eyes of Moses because he's so holy and he's so glorious that Moses can't even see the face of God, right? I, I'm only saying that to give you an idea of, of Jesus's reality, like, he is just, he lives in glory. He lives in light. He lives in holiness. And then he put on flesh. And like, you're, you are a good-looking crowd. You really are. But not in comparison. Like, like if you think of the flesh compared to the holy God of the universe, it, it doesn't even compare Okay, so he, so he puts on flesh, and then, he, and then he lives a perfect life. He lives a righteous life. He's perfectly obedient. Everything that God willed, commanded, suggested, Jesus did fully. You know, live an obedient life, imitate Jesus. He did it perfectly. Okay, and in, in verse 6, Paul says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So here's what I'm trying to say with that is, even when Jesus put on flesh, even when Jesus was man in flesh, Anywhere he walked, anyone he encountered should have fallen flat on their face and worshipped him. Everyone, everyone he walked by should have fallen flat on their face and worshipped him because that is what Jesus deserved. Because that 
is what his divinity deserved. So what do I mean by he didn't count it as something to be grasped? He opened his hands. He didn't become less divine, but he put on flesh and he walked with people. He walked with people to see the humility of Jesus. Okay, it, it gets even crazier. Okay, he kept being obedient to God even when God called him to a cross. Even when God called him to die, he was still obedient. Here's what I want you to hear, is that death was the mode of Jesus' obedience. It was not the master over Jesus. So we're going to come back to that. But death was just the mode of obedience for Jesus. It was not the master over Jesus. Divinity, his divinity, his, his perfection, his righteousness, meant that he was the only person in the world that's ever existed that didn't deserve to go to the cross. Because he was perfect, he actually didn't deserve to die. But he humbled himself. Why did he humble himself? Because he loved you. Because he loved me. Because he didn't lack anything, but we did. He wasn't in need, but we were. Humility of Jesus. All right, here's how I thought about this. So a couple... Uh, a month ago or so, I was scrolling through uh, Twitter. I see Coach Patino is coaching his five-year-old son. If you don't know who Coach Patino is, he coaches the basketball team, University of Minnesota, Division I, Big Ten basketball team. And he's coaching his five-year-old son, Jack is his name, um, in basketball. And I don't know if, if you've seen a, a five-year-old play basketball recently. Um, pretty underwhelming, right? Like, like, Coach Patino is not teaching Division I basketball players the fundamentals of, of dribbling, of, of making a layup, except for maybe this year. That would be helpful. Um, but um, he's, not, he's not teaching them that, right? Like, he is coaching some of the best basketball players in the state of Minnesota. He has no business coaching five-year-old basketball. Absolutely none. He has no business coaching five-year-old basketball. So why does Coach Patino humble himself? And coach five-year-old basketball. Because he loves his son Jack. Right? Coach Patino humbled himself because he loves Jack. Jesus, even greater, an even greater discrepancy than that. Jesus humbled himself because he loves us. Guys, Jesus was, was perfectly obedient to the Father. He, he humbled himself so much that he went to the cross, but he did not deserve the cross. He humbled himself out of love. The thing that qualified Jesus not to go to the cross, right, his perfection, his divinity, all these things that said he shouldn't have to go to the cross was the very thing that God said, actually, actually that's why you should go to the cross because in order for someone to stand in our place, they had to be perfect. So the perfect sacrifice that shouldn't have deserved the cross, didn't deserve the cross, went to the cross because Jesus is the only one that's been qualified to stand in our place. But like I said, death was not the master over Jesus. All right, let's look, let's look back at Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right, okay, so Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rises, he's living again, he lives 40 days on the earth, and then, and then God exalts him, right? God exalts him 
And now, because of Jesus' victory over death, because of his divinity, he reigns at the right hand of God. Like, Jesus reigns right now. And, and I fall back into thinking, my, myself, I fall back into thinking that it's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus can reign in, in part of my life, or, or maybe, maybe someday Jesus will reign in all my life. Maybe someday I'll surrender this part of my life to Jesus. But guys, Jesus reigns right now over every aspect of your life. Over every aspect of your life, Jesus reigns. And we will fully submit our lives to Jesus someday. We will. That, that's what this text is saying. And so I'm saying to you, I want you to fully submit your life to Jesus right now. I want you to fully submit your life to Jesus right now. Every part of your life, I want to say it's yours, Jesus. It's not mine anymore. It's yours. So what areas of your life is that for you? What areas of your life is that for you? Maybe after the conference, you're like, I'm going to move. I'm going to move for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to move. But my finances, yeah, God, don't look at those. Don't look at my bank account. That's for me. Like, right? That's, that's for me. Don't look at those. Or you come back from the conference, you're like, I'm going to share the gospel with someone in my class. But, but I refuse to move. Right? The other way around. I refuse to move. I'm, I'm comfortable here. I love my comfort. Jesus doesn't reign over the comfort of my life. I'll share the gospel, but I, but I won't get uncomfortable for him. Guys, Jesus was exalted and is currently at the right hand of God. He is currently reigning over every area of your life. Why don't we just submit that to him? Because that is what we will do someday. Let's submit our entire lives to Jesus. So some of you, some of you, maybe you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I, I would love you to do that today. I would love you to do that today. Keep listening, but I would love you to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Some of you have surrendered your life to Jesus, but now all of a sudden you're falling back into this way of thinking that, no, this part of my life, this part of my life I won't surrender to Jesus. This part of my life is off limits for my walk with Jesus. What is that area of your life? Where are you not recognizing the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you? Because Jesus will redeem every single part of your life. That's why we surrender it to him, because he will redeem every single part of our life. All right, so, so Paul keeps going. Okay, here's point two. He, he actually tells us how to respond. And so point two is the work of your salvation. Okay, Here, here's what he says in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how does Paul define working out your salvation? All right, pause. Um, this is not Paul saying you have to work for your salvation, right? He says work out your salvation. So salvation comes, faith alone, grace alone. So now, so now you have faith in Jesus, you're surrendering your life to Jesus, how do you work out that salvation? That's what Paul's talking about, okay? So jump back in. How does Paul define working out your salvation with obedience? If you rightly respond to the gospel and recognize that Jesus is king, your response will be obedience. And it's the best life that you could live. Living an obedient life to Jesus is the best life you could live. That's what Paul's saying. Paul, Paul's saying this is the best life you could live so here we have this interesting theological idea that, that we're going to wrestle with right here is work out your salvation, but then he says, for it is God who works in you. So I'm like, okay, Paul, 
bro, which is it? Like, am I working for my salvation or is God working for my salvation? Paul would say, yes. Like, like it, I want him to give me a straight answer, right? Like, is it God? Is it me? I don't know. But, but he's making us wrestle with this idea, right? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, why does he say fear and trembling? He's saying, you go to work, but any work that happens in you is, is the result of God's sovereignty. So yes, we have to work out our salvation, but we aren't in control of change. But if we do nothing, we may not change. So Paul's telling us to show up. He's saying, show up and then allow God to work. Give your lives to the working out of salvation. Give your life to knowing the beauties of Jesus. Give your life as a response to the cross. Be imitators of Jesus. All right, then he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Actually, he says that in verse 5, right? So he's saying you have access to the humility of Christ. All the humble things that we just saw Christ do, you have access to that because of Christ. It's in Christ Jesus that we have this. So it's the same idea of I'm working out my salvation, but it's in Christ. The whole point is to have the mind of Christ through Christ. That's what obedience is, is having the mind of Christ through Christ. So we actually need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves and say that Christ is in control. God is in control. I am not in control of my life. God is. We are so needy. This this entire room is a room of needy people. We need God to work, but we need to show up. Right? Like we still need to show up to see God work. Now, now God can use little pieces of our life. Like if you're like, God, I'll give you, I'll give you five minutes a day or ten minutes a day, right? If God can use little pieces of our life to do big things. But more often, I have seen, when we fully surrender our life to Jesus, when we say it's all for you, Jesus, that is when he does radical things. That's when he, that's when he starts movements, is when we say, none of my life is my own. It's all, it's all Jesus. All right. So some of you look confused, like you still don't have a resolution to th- this issue. Neither do I, which is frustrating. But, but this is how I thought about it. Okay, three people, three different fields. All three of the people want to grow a forest. They're like, all right, I'm gonna see, I want to see God grow a forest in my lifetime. That's what I want to see. Okay, guy number one walks in the field, has a seed in his hand, throws up the seed. Before the seed hits the ground, he turns around and he says, God, I'm coming back in 50 years. Will you, will you make a forest? Okay, guy number two comes with a shovel, comes with a seed, comes with a watering can, digs a hole, plants the seed, covers it with the soil, waters it. And he waters it every week, once a week, for 50 years, one seed. And every week he comes back and says, God, make a forest. I want to see you, I want to see you grow a forest. They don't, know how, they don't know how a seed grows into a tree, but they're saying, God, grow a forest. Guy number three. Guy number three sells everything that he has. He buys farming equipment. He builds himself a house next to the field. Okay, he's out there every single day, tending to the multiple seeds that he has planted. He's watering them. He's fertilizing them. And every night, as he puts his head on the pillow, as he looks out over all the seeds that he's planted, over the trees and the forest that he wants to see God grow, he says, God, I cannot grow trees. I don't know how to turn seeds into trees. I don't. You do. Help me wake up and care. Care for this field. Because I want to see a forest. 
in 50 years, who's going to see the forest? Maybe, maybe all of them. Maybe none of them. I, I honestly don't know, right? I don't know. But if I, had, if I was a betting man, and I bet if you were a betting person, you would say, God number three, God number three has sold out his entire life to see God plant a forest. That's the point. If we want to see God work in our lives, if we want to see the working out of our salvation, if we want to see God be so, so faithful in our obedience, we need to sell out our lives for the sake of the gospel. We need to humble ourselves and say, I cannot make a forest grow, but I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do everything I can so that I can put myself in a place so God can grow that forest. That's, that's how we need to respond. So, okay, what does it look like to pursue obedience, right? You're talking about obedience, Colin, like, like, how do I do that? How can God start working my life? Paul continues, right? Paul, Paul's a lot smarter than me. He's, he's got this logic all worked out. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Guys, we must change. We must be changed before we can be the change. Right? Like, we ourselves must change before we can be the change. Right? Like, he says, shine like lights in the world. You'll change people. You'll be a light once you become obedient. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Paul is saying, we need to work out of the identity that we now have. Like, we need to work out that identity. Christ has given us a new identity. On the cross, when we trust in him, he's given us a new identity. But now we need to work out that identity. We can't just sit back. We need to work out that identity. Paul, that, Paul then says, you will shine in the world. Your holiness, your set-apartness, your, your differentness, because, because you've started to follow this, will, will shine in a dark world. It will. If you, if you start to become obedient to the word of God, you will shine in a dark world. Paul says influence will come when you give yourself over to be influenced by the one who's worthy. That's what Paul's saying. When we are influenced by Jesus, that is when we start to influence others. Okay, earlier in chapter 2, I, I I'm, went over this at first, but now we're back. It's, it's verse 2. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So if you guys were at the conference or you're hearing me talking, right, we talked a lot about this holy ambition, this, this holy ambition, doing something great for God. And that's awesome. I love that. I love that you guys have a holy ambition. Maybe it's go, go preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Maybe it's moving with a church plant. Maybe it's going and sharing the gospel with everyone that's on your dorm floor. I don't know what it is. What, what's your holy ambition? But how does Paul tell us to pursue holiness? He doesn't contradict that, but he says, but he says, be humble. 
right? Like, I want him to tell me where to move, who to, who to share the gospel with. That's what I want. I want God to give me this huge vision for my life that's super cool. But instead, he says, be humble. Don't complain. Stop grumbling. So how are you doing with that, right? How are you doing with counting others as more significant than yourself? Like, I know reading through that, I'm convicted of that. I'm not good. I, I grumble, I complain. What do you grumble and complain about? Is it, is it your friends? Is it your family? Is it the person you live with? Is it your connection group? Is it the people in your connection group? Is it, is it just showing up to things? Oh, I have to show up again. Is it that teacher, that class? Is it an injury that you have? What, what are you grumbling and complaining about? How, how are you doing at, at counting others as more significant than yourself? As, as ser- at serving someone and then expecting nothing in return? How are you doing with that? Like, this, this should be pretty easy. Like, where can we start applying this tonight? Right, tonight, right? You're going home to your roommates. Don't grumble and complain. How can, we, how can we start pursuing holiness tonight? Don't grumble and complain. Count others as more significant than yourself. Don't expect anything in return. Maybe it's in the next week. Right, like I can think of things tonight, tomorrow, in the next week. Because here's the thing. Holiness is more formed in the mundane decisions in your life than the monumental moves in your life. Holiness is more formed in the mundane decisions in your life than it is the monumental moves in your life. So here's how Paul ends. Back in the words. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So here's what Paul is saying. Here's here's how he roots his whole argument. I don't want to have wasted my life. Like, he's talking, talking to friends of his, and he's like, I don't want to have wasted my life run after Jesus. My entire life has been about helping you and showing you how to love Jesus. Do it. That's what he wants. And so, so here's point three. Here's, here's how we're going to conclude this whole thing, wrap it all up, is that it is worth it. Humbling ourselves, being obedient is worth it. All right. Verse 17. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So, honestly, at this point in Paul's life, I think he's insane. Right? Like, if you guys weren't here last week or forgot, Paul's in prison. He's about to die. Like, and, and he's like, well, you, it's joy. I'm, I'm joyful. You should be joyful. Right? Like, he, he is insane. He's saying, I'm going to die. And if all you guys know Jesus, we're good. It's good. It's, it's joyful, right? Like, it seems, it seems like so far off, I feel like, for me, and probably for a lot of us here. That, that idea seems so far off, that, that joy is actually based on faith, not on circumstances. Like, we talk about that idea a lot, but I feel like it's, it's actually not, not real, at least in my life. And, and I think Paul, Paul's not just saying this about himself. I think he actually wants this to be true for the church at Philippi. That's, what, that's why he writes it. Right? Like he's writing it as an encouragement, but he's saying, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to have the same attitude. I think he actually wants us to have the same attitude. 
that even if I am poured out, even if I lose my life, it's, it's okay. Because we, we have the one thing that matters in common. We have faith in Jesus in common. It's okay because my joy is based on my faith, not on my circumstances. So here's one thing Paul says about that, is that he calls his life a drink offering. Which a drink offering, so a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith. So a drink offering is, is an offering that goes along with an animal sacrifice. So in Old, Old Testament times, they used to do sacrifices. Here's what Paul's saying about his life being a drink offering. Not that significant. His, his offering, his life, that's what he's talking about here. His life offering, him dying, is not that significant. My life, my life is not that significant. But your offering is worth it. He's saying, it's not significant, but it is worth it. Because in the midst of becoming this type of person and becoming a humble person, you'll actually become the person you want to be. You'll actually become the person that you want to be. A person living for significance. Right? Your life, your offering, you're not like, God, look at how awesome my life was. It's not, it's not really all that significant. It's not significant. But you'll, you can live for significance. You can live on mission. You can live to make the name of Jesus known, to humble ourselves, to serve other people, to be holy. You can live for significance without being significant. And everyone here wants to live for significance. Everyone, everyone in this room wants to have a, like a significant life. They want to live for something greater than themselves. And so... You, you want to live for status, you want to live for popularity, you want to live for money, you want to live for a good time. Like you're trying to live for significance. You just want to find significance in something. And he, Paul's the same way, right? Like he says, I don't want to run or have labored in vain. He's like, I want my life to count for something. That's what he's saying. Paul, and Paul, if you guys don't know the life of Paul, he looked for significance in the wrong places. He was like us. He looked for significance in doing all the right things. That's what he looked for significance in. Like, look at me. I, I did all the right things. Maybe, maybe for you, like, think about what it is for you. Is it, is it friends? Is it money? Is it status? But what did he actually find his significance in? Right? He lived, he lived a lot of his life looking for significance. What did he find it in? He finds it in laying down his life. Right? He says, it's, it's not about my life. It's about all you guys knowing Jesus. And I'm good because I know Jesus. Because I have faith, it's all right. Why did humility bring about significance in Paul's life? Okay, two reasons. Because Paul got Jesus. Right? Back in verse 5, all the way back, first verse we read, it talks about having the mind of Christ. Paul's like, I've actually started to see that in my life. That's one reason why humility is brought about significance in Paul's life. Here's the second reason. Because he saw his humility. He saw the humility of Christ working through him help others know Jesus. That's, that's what he counted his life for. That's what he's like, this is what my whole life is about. My whole life is about knowing Jesus, being humble before him, and helping others know him. And his humility actually did that. 
Soul Company, if we offer our lives and work out our salvation, if we show up to see God work, if we put our humility on display, God will use it to transform us and he'll use it to transform others. All right, so, so coming back to the beginning, right? The first illustration, the Netflix doc, right? Like Paul, at this point in his life, is, is near the end. He's like, I'm cashing in the investment. I'm almost about to cash in the investment. So why is he so pumped? Right at the beginning, you're like, oh, all the things I have to give up in order to see it someday. And Paul's at the other side of it and saying, I'm about to cash it in and it was all worth it. I don't, I'm like, think, if you're about to cash in on that investment, if you're about to cash in on that investment, you are no longer thinking about biking. You're no longer thinking about the car you sold, about dropping out of school, because you're like, I am cashing in on this investment. This is what Paul's saying. And what else is Paul saying? It's more fun. It's more fun to be rich with your friends. It's more fun to be rich with the people you love. Right? Like, it's no fun to be rich and have no one to, like, share that with. He's like telling others about the investment. He's like, go invest your money. Right? So why is Paul so happy? Why is Paul like, I am going to lose my life itself? Why does he say to live as Christ and to die as gain last week? Like, why, why can he say that? Because he's cashing in on the investment and his friends bought the stock too. Because he made his entire life about humbling himself, about saving it all for that someday, and then he convinced his friends to do it too. He laid down everything. And he's about to cash in. So why can he say, I'm going to die, but you should rejoice because he is about to gain the best thing that's ever happened to him, and that is Jesus himself. If we humble ourselves, and we will start living for something significant. We will start living for significance when we humble ourselves. And I think a lot of us are investing, are giving 10% of our lives, right? Kind of back to that original idea. I'll give you my friends, but I won't give you my money. I'll, I'll move, but I won't, I won't give you, I won't, I won't give status. I won't give up status, right? What are you not willing to give up for Jesus? What's that thing? Maybe you're not willing to be obedient. Maybe you're not willing to give up getting drunk, sleeping around. You're not willing to give that up. Here's what I'm saying. is that if you humble yourself before Jesus, if you humble yourself before Jesus, you will start living for significance and it will all be worth it because you will start to see Jesus move in radical ways. In radical ways. So, so stop, stop pursuing holiness in some areas of your life. Give it all to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Here it is, God. Here's my life. It's full of pride. It's full of brokenness. It's full of shame. It's not that impressive. But I'm trusting you to show up to redeem and to restore what has been broken. Use my life. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer that you would redeem and restore that which has been broken, that you would use our lives, that you would use our insignificant lives, that you would help us to be obedient so that we might do mighty things for your kingdom, Father.
not because we will it, but because you are at work in us when we lay down our lives. Father, help me to lay down that which I do not want to lay down. Help me to humble myself. Father, I, I want to know you. I want to be like Paul. I want to reach the end of my life and say it was all worth it. Giving up everything was worth it because I know you, because I know you, Jesus. And I get to spend eternity with you. That's what, that's what I want to define my life is just knowing you and spending eternity with you and seeing others come to know you along the way. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.